I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Would you turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 2? We're in the middle of a series called Truth That Transforms. And when you think about the word truth, I think it's important that you have the right perspective on what truth is, or maybe better said, who truth is. The text reminds us over and over and over that ultimate reality is not a set of abstract ideas. That ultimate reality is not a set of moral principles. Ultimate reality is a person. And that person is named Jesus. And so when we talk about truth that transforms and truth that changes us. We're not talking about a set of principles that if we follow, we will be changed. We're talking about a man who if we open ourselves to him and his work in the world and what he has done in the cross, if we open ourselves to his redemption and to his love and to the grace and peace that he offers, when we open ourselves to him, we are changed. When we say truth that transforms, That's what we're talking about. And so this series on Romans from the start is about telling some good news. It's about sharing a really, really compelling message that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the person of Jesus has made a way for the nations to enter into relationship with him. And Paul is so stoked about this. He's so pumped about this. He's more pumped up than Sydney was in the first service about the San Francisco 49ers playing today. He's more excited about this than, than he was about that. He's more excited about James Verhoeven and the Nationals being in the playoffs this year. He's more excited than that. He, he is willing to give it all and surrender his life and sacrifice his life for this message that the God of Israel is making a way for the nations to join in the anthem and the song of praise to the king. That's good news, and Paul's pretty pumped about it. In verse 17 is kind of the thesis of Romans. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, maybe take a minute and underline it. 1 verse 17 He says, in the gospel, in this good news, there's a righteousness from God that is revealed. Now, the word righteousness to the Jewish mind, to the Hebrew mind, is not talking about uh, moral, it's not a moral standing. It's a covenant term, okay? The word righteousness is not talking about you being ethically perfect. It's a covenant term. The righteousness of God is, is the fact that he always keeps his promises. And he has done that now to Israel. The the covenant faithfulness of God, his salvation has been revealed for Israel and the nations. He's 
He's done what he always said he would do, which was gonna be to send salvation to the world. A righteousness from God is revealed. It's by faith from first to last. Another way of reading that, other translations say it's from faith to faith. From God's faithfulness, it evokes in his people a faithful response. It's from God to us. He's come in Jesus, and the invitation is to respond to that. This thing that happened in Christ is world-changing for Paul. And Scott talked about how his passion is to see the gospel proclaimed to where? Where does he want to see the gospel go to? The ends of the earth. He wants everybody singing the praise song to the king. Paul wants the whole world, the trees to clap. He wants the nations to rejoice. God is God. And so he is pumped up about this message because in Christ, God has made a way for people to come into relationship with him. And Paul thinks it's so good, he's gonna tell it and shout it from every mountain. Now, I grew up in Michigan, and there are no mountains in Michigan. So when I would sing a song like this about mountains, I could only imagine. But being in California here, people, we got mountains. Mountains that we need to be singing from. Mountains that God invites us to, to shout from that he is God. And Paul's prepared to do this. He's prepared to take beatings in prison. He's prepared to go hungry and be shipwrecked. He's prepared to be hated by the people who were supposed to love him most and loved by the people that were supposed to hate him. He's prepared to go all the way with this message he's all in. So this morning, are we all in? Are we all in on this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God in Christ has done something so so good for us. He's made a way where there shouldn't have been a way. God in Christ has removed every barrier between us. The sin that got in the way before of us and God is gone, and there is nothing in the way of you and me having an intimate relationship with God. There's nothing in the way except maybe our own doubt, maybe our own self-loathing, maybe our, our pride which creeps in occasionally. But God in Christ has removed everything. This is good, yeah? Worth singing about. Amen. Can we get an amen? So in uh, Romans 2, eventually we'll get there, and I will read it. But I just want to uh, say this too. Um, in verse 18, last week Scott played a sweet trick on us. It was so cool. I loved it. It was like a Jedi trick. And he talked about the world and the problem with the world. And then he said, how many of you are not in the world? And then, uh, you know, it was kind of like a reveal, and we realized we were all screwed um, because we're a part of the world's problems. We're a part of um, what's wrong with the world. I'm broke, for sure, and you're broke. And the good news is that God is putting us back together, together as a people, to the praise and honor of his glory. And so in 1 verse 18, he says that uh, essentially we become what we worship. Yeah? And so the, the, the nations were engaged in a form of idolatry, and because of that, they became the things they worship. Like the psalmist said, I think it was 115, they pursue gods who are mute and deaf and lifeless, and because of that, they become lifeless. 
And Paul says that's what happens when we pursue idols, when we pursue gods who are not the God of Israel, who is continually self-giving and self-emptying with his love. And so that's where we left off last week. Romans 2, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back. Okay, I didn't do that in the first service, but I'm going I'm to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back to verse 1. You, therefore, the you is, um, it's not a plural. It's not addressed at a group of people. It's a Paul's, like, imaginary friend, okay, a conversation partner. All right, so just keep that in mind. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. The same things as what? Well, the same things as the list in verse 29 and on. You do the same things, people. He's saying. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is what leads you toward repentance? I'm going to read that one just one more time, even though it's not in there twice. I want to read it twice. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, You, imaginary friend, are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And now he switches tenses and he goes into a plural form. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is Not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. All right, so, you ready for this? Yes, here we go, here we go. Uh, Two, verse one. You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. And now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, O mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Remember, in the preceding text, Paul is highlighting the idolatry of the Gentiles. Okay? He's 
pointing out that what we love and our affections are what shape us. The things we worship are what we become. And so he exposes an idolatry here that's a little bit different. It would be easy after that list, which if you're really into like history and uh, wanna do some more exploration, there is a, um, a body of literature of a poem called The Sentences by Phoclides. Uh, around the first century, he was a, a Jewish teacher and poet, and he wrote something very similar to Paul's first few views, verses here, verses 18 through 32. He wrote an indictment of the nations. It's very similar to what Paul wrote. Some people even think maybe they were kind of borrowing from each other, or Paul was potentially borrow, borrowing from Phoclides, but uh, it's very similar. It was a common Jewish perspective that the nations had gotten it wrong. They'd pursued idols, and as a result of that idolatry, you see some of the moral chaos in their society. And Paul's saying, yeah, yeah, but you are engaged in a form of idolatry as well, oh, mere person standing off, watching, and judging the nations. You're, in for, you're engaged in a form of idolatry in which you're assuming that you are qualified to be judge. You're, you're sitting in God's seat. And so the type of idolatry that you're engaged in is self-inflation. You've got a God complex. You, you're misunderstanding where you fit in the scheme of the universal picture. You're not the judge or the jury. There is one, and his seat is established. It's firm, but... It's for him to sit in. And so he wants to address those of us who maybe are standing off going like, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm, idolatry. Yes, those people. Those people. They're the worst. Uh, To judge somebody as less deserving of God's grace is to commit a form of idolatry where the not-so-holy trinity of me, myself, and I, we sit in the king's throne. I sit in the chair that's reserved for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I, I sit in their place. I say, uh, Trinity, thank you very much. Now I'm going to be the judge. Now I'm going to be the jury. Now I'm going to decide who's in. Here's why this is important. In Rome, you have a church that's Jewish and Gentile. Scott mentioned that in 50 AD, there was uh, an emperor, Roman Emperor Claudius, who um, expelled the Jews from Rome. They were kicked out, and a big part of the reason they were kicked out is because there was this disagreement between uh, Jews and incoming Christians about how to worship and about who should lead, and and there was all this quarreling. And and so Claudius finally said, you know what? This Christus, he's he's posed some problems, and so we're kicking out all the Jews, about forty to 50,000 Jews. And so for the next few years, they were outside of, of Rome, it wasn't until uh, like 55 AD that many started kind of trickling back in. And so they were out of kind of the people of God, out of the church for a while. And now they're coming back. And so again, there are these questions about, well, who, who's going to lead and, and, and how do we do things in this community? And so Paul wants to address them and say, careful how you judge Careful the assumptions that you make about people. The Jews who are coming back are coming into a a church that's now more and more Gentile. It's more and more outside of their normative Jewish practice. And, And so he wants to say, just be careful about the judgment 
that you engage in, especially in light of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, just a side note, some of us, um, when we think judgment, we think that the only other option is to sort of bask and live in this world of, of like niceties. That if, if we're called as a community not to judge another, then the only option is to um, kind of play nice. Even when we see something happen that bothers us or that's wrong. It does not mean, and he's not saying that we can't have opinions. Paul's talking about a kind of judgment where we say about a person or a group of people, we make declarations or decisions about where they stand in relationship to God. We define where they are in relationship to God. We define their level of holiness or acceptance or we define their place in relationship to the divine. And God's saying, be really careful because that seat, Paul's saying, is, is reserved for God. He's the judge. He's not saying you can't have opinions about, as a community, what you think you're called to and, and where you want to invest your energies and um, you know, what kind of school you want to put your, your, your family in. He's not saying you can't have opinions about that sort of thing or make decisions about that sort of thing. He's just saying we're not here to judge other people's relationship to God. We're not here to declare that the Gentiles are somehow outside of God's grace or the Jews are somehow, they lost their chance and they're outside of God's grace. To do that is to engage in a form of idolatry. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Does that distinction between judgment make sense? Okay, just a little side note. Uh, Here's the big irony in the church today. Nine-tenths of millennials, people 18 to 30, nine-tenths of them say that Christians are judgmental. Nine-tenths of them feel as though their journey and walk with God is consistently critiqued and um, being judged by the church, which is incredibly ironic because in saying that Christians are judgmental, what are they being? Judgmental, but alas, that's sort of the irony of judgment. Nine-tenths say the people of God, his church, are judgmental. So clearly we're missing something here, and I think the answer comes in verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is what leads you toward repentance? God's kindness is what invites you back into relationship with him. Remember, Israel has always held up and uh, celebrated the kindness and the goodness and love of God. Just read the Psalms. It's, it's what they put on display and wanted to put on display for the nations, that God was good. This is not a new concept. It's not that all of a sudden Jesus came on the scene and now God is no longer uh, angry where he was angry before. God has always been merciful In the Old Testament, God is always good. He's always compassionate. He's always slow to anger and abounding in love. He's always been merciful. This is not a new word that Paul is giving the people. This is the same word, the same God, who in Christ now has made a way for the nations to come to him. 
This week, um, I saw a video. This is why this is incredibly important. I saw a video of uh, a group of students that were gathered at James Madison University because there was a preacher, uh, somebody who was claiming to speak the words of God and claiming to speak on behalf of God, who was judging students and making judgments about certain kinds of people based on their sexual practice. And he was proclaiming that as his gospel. That was the news that he was sharing with people as they were coming out of class. Uh, Students just, you know, going back into their dorm room were getting an earful. And after about an hour, this preacher had quite a crowd. You can imagine there's controversy, and people are a little bit attracted to controversy, maybe. It's why we watch things like Fox News, uh, because we're attracted to this, like, drama and and sort of controversial information. We, We like that. And so there's a crowd gathered there. And uh, there were some Christians in the crowd, and they were listening to the message, and they didn't agree with, with what he's saying. And they didn't start uh, fighting. They found kind of like a third way, which I think is genius, and which I want to invite us into even a little bit this morning. They didn't agree with what he was saying. They didn't appreciate uh, the judgment that this person was sitting in God's seat and declaring and speaking on behalf of God. And so instead they found another way. One of the guys in the crowd, a young Christian college student, grabbed a guitar. Not out of his backpack. He probably went to his room or something. And he came back and he started singing a song. And the song was about God's kindness. The song was about how God loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us so. Do you know what started to happen in this crowd is um, people who were filming the the angry preacher man um, started to instead film the singing college student. And then suddenly uh, the song that emerged became louder than the judgment that was being proclaimed. The mercy and kindness and love and grace and peace of God. The thing that's so much bigger than the judgment that this preacher was was casting. That became the celebration. And the students joined in singing. Students who weren't Christian stood and observed as Christians gathered around and sang songs of praise to the king of the universe. And declared for everyone present that his love was actually what compelled them. It was his kindness which invited them into relationship with him. In Jesus, God has made a way for everyone to have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We get to dance with the divine because God in Christ has opened a way for us. This is what Paul's excited about singing And this is what the students at James Madison University shared so beautifully in in a way that's that's different than the judgment that so easily occurs. Like Israel, our story is about not what we have done or are doing, but it's about what God has done. You see, our tradition for the longest time, we struggle with the word um, evangelism. We inherited a really garbage model of evangelism 
where we thought evangelism was about us telling other people how bad they were and then somehow in there sneaking a way out for them. When the reality is if you read the text, the way that the Christian community or the people of God have for centuries witnessed to God and his goodness. It's not, you're not witnessing to others, you're witnessing about God. You're giving testimony, you're witnessing to his work in the world. And so evangelism ought to be the song of the people of God to his praise and glory. Evangelism is about all the good things that God has done and is doing in our world. The Belgic Confession says we ought to praise God because he's the overwhelming source of goodness. The overwhelming source of goodness. Hey, does your non-Christian neighbor know you as the person that's going to judge him and know you as the person that just celebrates God's goodness all the time? The thing I'm dying to do in my home right now is throw a party I just want to throw a party. I keep telling Julie, we're going to have music. You know, we're going to have some good food and drink. And we're going to just dance. Why are we going to dance? Because God is overwhelmingly good. I didn't deserve a way to him. And in Jesus, he made a way for me to come to him. And I'm going to throw a party at my house. And we should be throwing parties in our homes and in our church. We should be celebrating all the ways that God is good. Do you know what that does? That gives witness. That is how we evangelize. We tell the good news. God and Jesus made a way for me who didn't deserve a way, and now all I can do is celebrate. All I can do is sing a song, a song that's louder than any judgment you've heard, a song that's louder than any condemnation you've experienced by people who thought that it was their job to sit in the king's seat and name who's in and who's not, and name what other people's relationship with God is in, rela- in, in, um, in the sort of the moral, I don't know, I lost my train of thought, sorry. More and more, the invitation, I think, among the Christian community is to sing a song of praise for the good things that God has done. We're going to close this service in a, in a while after I get through the next 12 verses. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a long one. But we're going to close with um, songs of praise. And um, I want to invite you, if you have your bulletin, just kind of open it up, and there's a, a little sheet of paper. And as a community, we want to tell stories about what God is doing in the world, how he's redeeming us, how he's healing us, how he's bringing us more and more into relationship with him, into a deeper dependence, into more and more trust with him. And so we're going to share um, some stories, and we're going to make a sacrifice of praise. The psalmist says, enter his gates with what? Judgment in your heart. Enter his gates um, telling God how much better you are than everybody else. Enter his gates, pointing out your neighbor's sin. Enter your gates, highlighting how bad it is getting out there. Right? That's what it says in the Psalms? No. Enter his gates, welled up with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. People, this week, God took a two-by-four in Scott's words to my face. He smacked me pretty hard. Because I confess that I can often lead with judgment. 
I confess that in doing so, I am an idolater. And as an idolater who sometimes sits in God's seat, I need forgiveness. I praise God that in Jesus Christ, his kindness is revealed. God is good to his promise in that he is righteous. He made a way for me, and he made a way for you. The invitation, more and more, is to trust him, because he's just overwhelmingly good, in the words of the Belgic Confession. We sing songs, and, and I don't always feel it when I sing it, do you? I'm guessing you don't always feel it when you sing it, when you sing songs of praise. We sing because we know it's true. We know that God has made a way for us in Christ. We know that he will continue to guide us. We know that he will never leave us. We know that among the people, Jesus is gonna be raised up and others are gonna be drawn to him. I need to stay on track here. But in a minute, I just wanna let you think, if like you tune out, which I do often in terms of you zone out for a bit, take your card and write a story about how God has been good to you. Okay, maybe it was today, maybe it was this week, maybe it was this month, maybe it was five years ago, but just write down a little thing. And then if you're so brave as to write your name, we may come contact you at some point about sharing this story, okay? If you're not, you don't wanna share it with anybody else, you don't want them to know it's you, that's fine, but make a sacrifice of praise. That's how we're gonna close the service, It's by making a sacrifice of praise. Let's keep trucking here. Uh, verse five and six, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, uh, literally, your heart is hard. You know, it's hardened to God's kindness. It's hardened to his goodness. All you can see is other people's like evil. All you can see is other people's bad stuff and what's wrong in the world. Because of that hardness of heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Hey, he's gonna, he's gonna sit in his seat. Well, hopefully we're not in it. God will give to each person, verse six, according to what he has done. Now, verse six, is through, verse six through 11, there, sixes. verse six through 11, there's a structure um, that's called a chiastic structure, which just means this, that uh, verse six is paralleled with verse 11, okay? Verse seven is paralleled with verse 10, and verse eight is paralleled with verse nine. All right, that's what that means, and that's your like $5 word for the morning, the chiastic structure, okay? Uh, generally, in this structure, the point is found where? It's in the middle. Yeah, because when I eat a sandwich, I don't go away talking about how great the bread was. I go away talking about the stuff in the middle was just like dynamite, right? Yeah, uh, ham and pickles and um, mustard, and it's just amazing. And so I go away and I talk about that. I don't talk about the bread. I don't talk about the stuff on the outside, except that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He wants to talk about um, the point is what's on, on the outside there, which is that God doesn't have favorites. His point is that he's gonna judge everybody. He's going to judge, and, and he don't play favorites. He doesn't have like people who, who he, he favors over other people. He doesn't have certain groups that he likes more than other. Paul is saying, no, that got destroyed in Jesus. Now God is for all. He's for all. Again, Paul levels the playing field. Now, I like this because um, it's the outside stuff. It's what's on the outside that is his point. 
and I'm totally making a leap here, but maybe you can wonder about this with me. Um, is it because now what's on the peripheral, what's on the edges, what's on the fringes and the margins and the outside is suddenly becoming imperative, it's tantamount, it's really uh, the point of God's story. He's bringing the edges to the center. He's bringing those who felt far off before, those who, who, who experienced uh, isolation from God. He's bringing those people in and saying, no, that's what heaven's celebrating about. That's why heaven is singing a song because God is bringing those people in. He's making them, uh, part of, of his story is bringing them to a place where they can declare his praise and his greatness and his goodness and his love. Paul's purpose in communicating is that in God's covenant faithfulness, in his righteousness through Jesus, um, both the Jews and the Gentiles, but those on the periphery, they're no longer peripheral to the story of God. They're not an afterthought. Israel was always blessed that they might be a blessing to who? The nations. This is what made their tribalism so much different than everybody else's. Because everyone else had a relationship with a God that was primarily about making their tribe better. Israel's tribe was about making the other ones better. About being a blessing to the nations. And so, I think it's important for us to be careful about how we assume, uh, or the things we assume about those people on the fringe, those people on the outside, those who are far from God, those who are idolaters, we need to watch very carefully how we speak of others. Can you imagine in the first century what Paul's message did to the community, Jewish communities, a faithful people who had for hundreds and even thousands of years gathered around the words of, of, of God? Can you imagine what it did now that others were welcomed into that fellowship? People before who were seen as unclean, you couldn't couldn't be with them. You couldn't eat with them. Now that barrier is destroyed, this would have had crazy, massive repercussions for how they lived socially and how they exercised politics uh, because Roman soldiers, centurions, would have gathered in worship. They would have sung songs of praise with Galilean zealots, people who wanted to destroy Rome. And Jewish rabbis would sing songs of praise to their Messiah who had come alongside of former witch doctors who were really interested in this spirit that the Messiah had poured out. It would be like a lion laying down with a lamb, which is Isaiah's prophetic dream for what it would mean when Messiah came. Jesus came and changed everything, and Paul wants to sing a song. Because when God's spirit is at work, barriers get destroyed. I realize that I need God, and you realize that you need God, and then we find each other on common ground. In this church, we see this happening in some really, really beautiful ways. I want to share a couple that are countercultural, that fly in the face of communities that say, I can only be with people that are like me. This church has, I think, exercised some um, beautiful faithfulness. We have millionaires who sit next to people that don't have a home. We have 
soldiers that sing praises to the king of the universe next to pacifists, people who don't believe in war in this community. We have uh, Red Sox fans who glorify the creator next to Yankees fans. Where does that happen? We have public schoolers, Christian schoolers, homeschoolers, school skippers, people who prefer learning online, and, and they sit, and the song that drowns out all other songs is praise be to the King of Kings, hallelujah. When we sing hallelujah, it's literally what that means, praise to God, praise be to God. In this church, we've got Mexicans, we've got black people, we've got white people, occasionally we have Navajo people, we've got Japanese people, we've got Dutch people, we've got Frisians who worship with South Hollanders and they sing a song to the lamb in the river. You could say amen. We've got moms and dads who on Wednesday night attend spiritual parenting classes and then moms and dads who are just really glad that they haven't like killed their kids yet. I'm probably in the latter camp. Because Jesus has done something that none of us could do. In God's kindness and in his mercy, he made a way for us to be united to God people of the river, let's sing that song loud, loud and clear. Let's tell about all the good things that God is doing and has done for us. I want to lead into that. I want to lead with that. And when I don't, and when I'm judgmental and making you know, decisions about others' relationship with God, please come find me. Please remind me. Verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Summarize the law for me, will you? In a sentence, what would you say? Let's say it together. What would, what would you say um, is the summary of the law? Awesome, yeah. The summary of the law is to love the Lord, your God. And we could add, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law and the prophets, they turn on this like fundamental understanding that the law is all about knowing God's love and responding to it in faith. The law is love. And so Paul is saying, hey, some of the, the folks in your midst have never even heard They've never, they've never heard it, and yet they know it. Huh? 
Uh, Jeremiah 33 said that uh, God, at the time of the Messiah, God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. God was going to pour out his Holy Spirit and his law would be written on their hearts. His law is what? What is it? His law is love and it would be written on their hearts. And Paul is saying to those maybe who are coming back into the community and see this thing that maybe they don't recognize, don't drown out their song in judgment or because they don't have the book Scott's going to talk about that next week in verse 17. Don't drown out their song. They've, they've responded and are responding to what they know. Their, their conscience, in their conscience, they know the love of God. They've experienced it. They know it. It's written on their heart. And so don't drown out that song. Let it go forward He warns the people to be careful about the categories they create regarding God's relationship with others. And so if uh, later you want to look up Jeremiah, I'm sorry, I said 33, I'm at 31, verse 31 through 34. God was at work among people that before they thought were far away. Here's what this means for us. You and I ought to be on the lookout when we engage in relationships with others Don't assume you know what God is doing in their lives. Don't put yourself again in the seat of judgment where you make um, statements about them or where you make judgments about where they are in relationship to God. I was saying be really careful because God might be at work in a way that you don't see in their lives. He might be at work in a way that, that you don't even know about yet. And so be careful in that because ultimately, verse 16, Jesus comes and he is the judge. He's coming and the secrets are gonna be made known and the idolatry is gonna be exposed and the judge of the universe will do what he's said he's gonna do from the beginning. In his faithfulness, he's gonna come back. So people of the river, what's the song that, that you're going to sing about God's kindness and his mercy? What's, where have you experienced his love at the foot of the cross? Where, where do you see his goodness? Where have you seen the overwhelming goodness of God in your life? And how will that anthem carry? How will you sing? Who will you tell? Who will you evangelize to, give witness and bearing witness to what God has done in your life, where are you going to share that story? We want to make a way for you this morning just to do that uh, right here. So I want to invite the worship team up, and we're going to sing. And while we sing, um, in your pews, if you don't have a little card, there are also some cards up here. We want to invite you to just jot down a story about how God has been overwhelmingly kind to you or good to you, how he's revealed his love to you and his mercy to you. And as we celebrate that and as we share that more and more, um, we become who we worship. We become like the one who rescued us. We are transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ. As we rest and bask and celebrate God's goodness and celebrate his kindness and celebrate his mercy, His character flows out.
of us and his spirit comes near to us. So just kind of jot down a story and then somewhere in this song, roll it up. Um, It takes a little bit of dexterity. I couldn't do it, but I'm sure more of you will uh, do it than, you know, have success in it. Also, if it falls out, don't worry about it. Just let it fall. Okay? It's coming up when you're ready. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.